Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by Jan Buchenschutz, the co-founder and CMO of Rico, a software and AI business aiming to transform the manufacturing industry by delivering cutting-edge interactive digital twins of production assets. A team of engineers, designers, and inventors of reality simulation software, Rico aims to set new standards in computer vision while creating software that is fun to use and easy to work with. Its technology helps manufacturers to manage their factories and accelerate their digital transformation and its cutting-edge technology is why it was chosen by Hexagon's Sixth Sense Open Innovation Platform as one of the members of its inaugural startup cohort. Through Sixth Sense, Rico is being provided with the tools to scale and roll out its vision to more companies around the world. Jan, welcome to Changemakers. Hi, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm really I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to this interview. Let's talk about the business. Frame Rico for us in terms of, you know, I've, I've read out the, I suppose, the top line, but if you were to sort of sum it up in a nutshell, the value, the mission, the things that you're trying to do with it, what what what, what would the pitch be? Yes, um, thank you. I think Rico is really this platform that enables you to reliable, have automation in the factoring plant environment. Um, so for example, we with our customers, we help them really accelerate this industrial 4.0 game, this automatization game that is currently happening in all plants and factories around the world. The big problem is that the change is just so fast. And I can throw around a lot of buzzwords here, but we all know all these trends are happening and people need to catch up. And our tool as a 3D model gives a visual overview of everything that is happening in the factory environment and thus helps people to understand what needs to happen to keep competitive advantage. Mm. And in terms of the end user benefit, in terms of the world that you're helping to build and create, if there's a if there's somebody who... It's just not a tech tech type of person that's listening to this and wants to think, well, well, so what's in it for me? What does the business do that I guess makes it a force for change in the world? I'd say the major impact that we have is that suddenly there is a transport view on all factories around the world. Many factory manufacturers manufacture their goods elsewhere in, in, in abroad the sea, for example. While the planning and the engineering is done in, for example, Western Europe or in, in the US, the production is done in, um, for example, Southeast Asia. Mm. And for us, it is very important to have this transparency. Now every engineer can open up their business laptop and see a millimeter accurate 3D model of the factory its uh, emissions, for example, its impact that has on the local environment by just browsing through the 3D model. Of course, it's a small step and we are not there yet, but uh, it's going to change the view because suddenly everything you do is locally observed. Mm. And I suppose, does that just mean we're going to make more stuff? Or does it mean we're going to, I mean, I'm thinking about some of the things that you do, the the digital twinning, the sort of AI work. I mean, in terms of where this takes us, is this just more, you know, better, faster, cheaper, Per production, or is there something that feeds to some of the other values in, in the world in terms of sustainability, in terms of, you know, I suppose the things that we want to do to do things more mindfully and respectfully? That is a very good question. What we always try to answer is, is how difficult it already is to do basic factory automation in our factories around the world. That is a big challenge. And now, if we think about reaching more sustainability goals and reducing emissions, for example, think how much more challenging that is to execute on a, on a factory floor that is 4,000 kilometers away. So what we currently, what, what people currently do to 
help that is they draw PowerPoint slides in 2D and they try to bring over their point of value of sustainability. But with us, they, they have an entire 3D model. And then it's not anymore about, oh, this is the energy consumption my factory is having today. It's look at these four factories' assets. Look at these four machines. Mm -hmm. They use more energy and there is more modern equipment out there. Let's exchange them. Let's reduce this energy consumption. And no one, everyone gets it because everyone sees it in a 3D model directly. I mean, I'm sure you'll, you'll know the William Gibson quote from the 90s that the, the future is already here. It's, it's just not evenly distributed yet. I mean, in terms of the influence and impact of your technology, presumably it's going to be more than just the day job of manufacturing. Presumably there are going to be uses elsewhere. There are going to be things that we see in terms of, you know, how, how things happen. I, was, I interviewed somebody from McLaren the other day who was talking about how, you know, Formula One technology finishes up in, in tomorrow's production car. In terms of the sorts of innovation that you're doing, where will that go in terms of that distributed world that we're, we're, uh, we're looking at? Yes. Um, so as, as a company coming from a technical university in Germany, we are all about this uh, artificial intelligence approach to generate those 3D models. So our core technology is an artificial intelligence that can detect objects based on their 3D geometry. And this alone is very powerful. So objects, factory assets that we create, they know, you know, there's a machinery standing or there's a crane standing because our AI has detected the 3D geometry of a crane and said, well, this must be a crane. So fast forward to that, if you think of any other geometric object recognition, might it be in an office space? Might it be at your home? And Apple has already pushed towards that with offering LiDAR technology, the technology that is enabling this data gathering of 3D data on iPhones and iPads in this current generation. So if we fast forward to that, we are coming towards a world where we teach essentially computers to understand what is out there in the world by just capturing the data. It's something that has been done with image recognition, for example, but not with 3D so far. And, and how excited are you about the metaverse as a frontier for your work? I, I think, I mean, that, that is something we we try we try to stay away from it a little bit because there's a lot of buzzwordiness around that. And mm. It's all about the value of the metaverse. But in the end, this is a core technology that could enable one of, of, of these metaverse theories. Mm. Um, I think there is a huge opportunity out there. And with, for example, NVIDIA Omniverse, one of the leading platforms to push towards that, that direction in the manufacturing space. We, we, we see this happening in our industry as well. Mm. It's about the value, but I think the 3D scanning technology and the AI that we have developed will be core components in this process. Well, I mean, you know, you, you see it in your, your sales deck and you, you see it in some of the writing about it. It's, it's, it's not just a kind of, you know, there's, there's, there's almost a ready player one type thing to this, isn't there? Because, you know, there's a fun element to this in terms of, I suppose, is it gaming? Is it what, what's been yeah. what's been the sort of the um, the inspiration? Yeah, the, the inspiration has been gaming. Um, when, when we said, let's do factory planning, uh, we said we're going to do it differently than any other factory planning software out there. Um, because these, these softwares are usually very large, very slow, very complicated. We said, no, it's about fun. If we want to change the factories of tomorrow, we need to have fun with this. So mm. it's a very easy to use software. I'm imagining co-workers sitting at a table with, an, with a laptop or a tablet in their hand and they're like, oh, let's draw this the other way around. It almost feels a little bit for me as, as a young generation, feels like playing Minecraft, but on a factory floor. Well, that's... that's well, <laughs> 
so you can have fun at the office as well. Now let's let's move on to the to the founder story because you're one of three co-founders. You were all together at Aachen University. Is that where the is that where the dream came? I mean, you all, you all went on to have other other careers. I noticed in terms of in terms of where you where you went. But do, do you see yourself as a a spin out from? the innovation program there. Tell us a little bit about the sort of the that startup story, I guess. Gladly. Felix and Patrick, my co-founders, they're, they're, they're family. Um, they, they are the first people I met when I started off studying in Aachen. Um, and I, I moved 600 kilometers away from Flensburg to Aachen to study there. Mm. So they were the people I, I stayed up day, day and night to, to study for exams. And Felix eventually became a roommate. And we always talked about these ideas of doing our own thing um, because you're coming out of, of university and you start working somewhere. But you, you always ask yourself, what, what if I would, you know, if I could just do what I think would make an impact, what I think would be adventurous and cool and, and, and fun to make, then, of course, our WTH Aachen University contribute uh, really highly to our success and, and as a startup because they mm. always supported us. The core technology has been developed by by Felix and Patrick from the tech side. And and once once we had a point where we said, oh yeah, well, this this might be a good opportunity because Apple published those gathering devices and now everyone was was able to capture 3D data. So there was a a large opportunity there. We said, let's build an AI for that. Let's let's make it happen. And we said... um, we sat down and we built the company. And uh, now a year after that, we are already 14 people with two offices. It's, uh, how it's uh, have you found that? Sort of, I suppose, how do innovators find themselves as entrepreneurs? I think we were a little, we, we worked, some of us worked in the space before, and we were a little annoyed how this 3D data was captured and everyone was was phrasing it and say, oh, it's going to be the next metaverse, it's awesome. But no one was able to use this data because 3D mm. data processing is quite complicated. So I'd say it was a problem that annoyed us. And we said, oh, let's build something that is helping us solve this problem. And then once we build it, and to be honest, we were very interested in solving the problem. And we said, oh, now we can make this available to others to to mm. use it. Then we said the impact we could have on manufacturing of that, and we continued. Well, I mean, I, I suppose that grit in the oyster of having something that you wanted to solve is part of the pitching story. And of course, you've been very accomplished at pitching it and capturing the capturing the attention of of uh, of other organisations. The latest of which is Six Sense. Tell us tell us about the um, the program and actually the process in terms of joining this inaugural cohort. Yeah, um, Six Sense with with Hexagon. Uh, Hexagon is one of the largest manufacturers of the hardware that we need to 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 run the AI on and generate these models. So one one perspective from us was always how do we make sure that we always can access this hardware that our customers can always generate those models. And with the first uh, idea of Hexagon Six Sense when it came up, it's like yes, that that's it, that's it. And of course we were very cautious because uh, it's a corporate and corporates and startups the collaboration it does have its pros and cons, but we were nothing but but astonished by mm. the work that Milan and uh, the colleagues have done. The program really offers value beyond what we would have imagined. And that is mostly because the access to the Hexagon employees has been so good. So we, mm. we talked to a lot of the senior management. We talked about our, our vision, our problems that we see. They are 
opportunity to be part of Rico and our opportunity part of Hexagon. And uh, th this this has just been really valuable in such a short time, next to, of course, meeting all the other awesome founders. Which now, you've been on, on four accelerators. Sixth Sense, what, what makes it different? Yeah, good, good question. Um, we've been on, on, on four accelerators by now, with UC Berkeley Skydeck being the, the largest one. But what I really see with Sixth Sense is the engagement of the corporate. And, and UC Berkeley was a, as a university, so you cannot compare that, but the engagement of the corporate at Sixth Sense was insane. There's a lot of talking in firesides and events, but having people really follow up, oh, did you understand that? Shall we connect? Or do you need help here? Let's, let's, let's have a deep dive or let's talk about this and this. Having people set meetings in my calendar telling you, oh, let's, let's chat again. Let's go over that. I think we can do value here. That is what has really surprised me because a lot of, of, of these things are on the surface sometimes. And Hexagon, they really dug deep. They really got dug deep to make a value for both Hexagon and for the uh, for the startup, for us. And I that's something I really appreciate. Well, you, you mentioned Milan, um, and Milan, of course, is, is our is our other guest this week. Been talking a bit about Sixth Sense from a hexagon perspective, and really the kind of the the goal and the opportunity to help the business see around corners, to see the future, to give it that sense of, of what comes next. What if what have you learned about yourselves going through a process like this, where you're working with you know a, a global business, a, a business that is operating on on a uh, on a major scale like that in terms of the, i suppose the opportunity and learnings that you found about yourselves as operators of businesses as innovators and entrepreneurs yes i think what a big learning from our side is that um, if we want to collaborate with the with the world outside outside of our startup sphere we really need to focus on the relationships that we build with these people because a lot of these people need the backup and the support of their company to be able to move anything. Mm -hmm. So even if, if senior management thinks it's a, it's a great idea to do that, if they don't get the backup and the, 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 the goals and the, the roadmap to make this happen, they will not get, get the innovation happen. And for us as, as, as young startup founders, of course, we say, oh, we should do this the other way. And next week we have it done the other way. And we have thought about that. But the rest of industry and of the market it does have some rules to play by, which is, you know, thinking of maintenance, thinking of legacy code. This is something we really learned to, to, we need this relationship, we need this understanding for the big corporate world to be able to be successful. Right. I mean, you mentioned yourselves as young startup founders, and there are a lot of young startup founders that listen to this show. And, you know, their, their dream is to go big, go quickly. I guess in terms of the advice that you'd give yourself a year or so in to the business, if you could start again, are there, are there things that you've, you've learned? I mean, how steep has the learning curve been? And what's the advice you'd give yourself if you're starting? Again. Yeah, my, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the advices we often hear. And um, I'm wondering myself why, when I heard this advice, have, have I not adapted that? But my advice would be talk to everybody who is already in this industry, who is a customer, a buyer, a user who has the problem and talk to them right now. Mm. Most often we build we build big concepts and how things will work out. But the biggest proof of that is talking to the people who have the problem today. And this has been the biggest value for us. And the learning curve has been so steep because we're working with all those corporates out there who have the problem. But we spent half a year developing something, thinking of us solving a problem. And then we actually build something that's solving the problem after we talk mm. to all the people. Is it the, I mean, I remember I interviewed Mark, Martin McCourt, who was the 
who was the former chief executive of Dyson. And he, he said that one of the things about um, working with innovators and engineers is that, of course, they are problem solvers, just as you've just said there. He said, but the issue is, how do you make sure that you're plugging into into an issue or a challenge that the market actually wants solved. So in terms of the the commercial element of that, making sure that you are on point and that you have a product for progress. I mean, is, is, is reconnaissance the way? Is that is that is that how you make sure you are attuned to the, to the needs of the market? Mm, it, it, I think it needs two sides. Once it needs a very open mind to listen to what what people have to say, and then and then of course it needs a filter. Is it big enough of the opportunity? Can can we do this? Do we have the capability? to build this in the end what we did what made us made us grow so fast on the space is we did proof of concepts we walked mm. up to large corporates like like a Siemens and a Volkswagen and we told them hey um, would you be willing to spend money on this just a small amount as a you know see it as a form of trust and we as founders I, I throw myself in there for for two three weeks and I work out what 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 we can work together what we can build this has been a, a great great contribution because one way we could we could uh, do a model for us and then the other day uh, we we could learn from the customers and, and when you have a Siemens or a Volkswagen a VWE what gets them to yes is it is it that you mentioned a sort of well it's not a big spend I mean what 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 gets them to say yes where others might have got to know? I think two two factors are important here. One is persistence, because these these obviously get contacted a lot by people who want to do business with them. So be persistent and and don't take it, don't take a no for, for a no, but say like, oh well, maybe that's another time then. And the second one is direct proof of value. So mm-hmm. if 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 I say I have seen this problem in the industry. And someone else says, oh, you won't believe how big of a problem that is in ours. And that is, that is always like, oh, we're talking on the same level. Awesome. So I've seen the solution. It's all about problem solutions. That I've seen the solution out there, which we are building. Do you think you want to give it a shot? I, I can prove to you in three weeks that this is going to be more valuable to us than the money you're spending on us. This is what people need to, to decide which project they're going to do with startups. I enjoyed reading your vision statement that digital transformation does not need to be difficult. We just need to include everybody in the digital world of tomorrow. I mean, this issue of digital inclusion, of making sure that we don't have such a thing as digital poverty in in, what is a a human-made product service experience. Tell us a little bit about how your business sees it in terms of this unprecedented digital transformation that our society is living through and how we make it inclusive enough to live up to a mission statement like that. Yeah, that, that is a good point. I think we are accelerating every year with what, what is coming on, on the side of the digital revolution. And it's going as fast that that even my team sometimes sees, oh, wow, we, what is going out there? What is new? And we see ourselves in the front of, of a computer vision AI that, that is yet not on the market publicly. So, so there is a lot happening. And I think to include everybody in it, it needs to be less complex. It needs mm. to be easy. And this is what we try to do with Rico and the product because 3D modeling software and 3D digital twin software has already been out there. One of the challenges is it's, it's mostly experts that use these tools. It's not the everyday factory planner or manager 
that is willing to, to do all these classes to be able to use product A or B. That's the guy who has 12 other softwares he gets every year to use, and they are all new on the new cool thing. So it needs to be intuitive. It needs to be easy. It needs to be building a community around this to include everybody. Because if, if we do not include everybody in the process of, for example, factory planning, then we, we lose people on the way. Um, mm. Because people will say, I will stay with my, my Word document or my PowerPoint, but I will not able to, to use this complex software. So people don't try. I also think that many people do not dare to step because they feel they could, they could not succeed there. They, they, if, if they would use a 3D software for our um, product, for example, they would fail and everyone would say like, oh, that's why you should use PowerPoint and nothing else. So mm. we need two things. We need to include everybody by building products that are less complex and more intuitive. And we need to be uh, more brave in the team, in the corporate, say, hey, let's just try it out. If we fail, it's going to be fine. I was looking at your um, your reading list um, for the for the lockdown advice you give, which we which we published with with this episode, and I took from it that you are a very positive person from the sorts of things that you read about Stephen Pinker is a, a preferred read looking at issues about you know why violence has declined I would imagine people like Hans Rosling the factfulness author would be, would be in there in terms of this idea of the improving force I mean when, when you hear a, a phrase like tech for good and I suppose business as a force for good presumably that's the sort of phrase that appeals is it and one that you would want to see yourself as part of in terms of a movement for change. Absolutely. I, I think it's very important to nowadays not, not do something because you, you get money out of it or you get the power out of it. It's about making a change. And I know that I can only hold employees if, if they have purpose in what they're doing and if they feel connected to the cause of what we are doing. So I, I would very much agree with the statement. Mm. I mean, a lot of people would look at the same set of facts and, you know, I, I, I might feel quite quite negatively about things at the moment you know the, the Stephen Pinker book for those that haven't read it looks at you know a, a statement where it says humankind has never been better off than today we need to believe in the better side of humankind and, and society well you wouldn't have to try to sort of travel very far to find people that would say actually that's not true and I don't believe it's true because look at you know war in the Ukraine look at you know shootings in America look at a whole range of what fuels the positivity the outlook I guess in terms of you know what what's the advice you'd give in terms of how you maintain a positive disposition yeah absolutely I can totally understand how people are scared and how people feel insecure in a world today where there's so much is changing and while embracing change is, is sometimes is difficult my advice would be to not only focus on on the subjective news that we get and the the things that we receive on how bad everything is but to look for the nuggets for the bright for the bright moments that still happen for example never have we been more connected with with uh, with other people all around the globe nowadays i can i can have a call with someone in the us via my phone without a delay or without any problems and this is building bridges i have a lot of friends who who are affected by for example the ukraine crisis and 
in the first eight hours, we all connected. We all like, okay, what can I do to help? What can I do to you? How can we interact with each other? This is something that wasn't there 50 years ago. And um, I think this is something that gives me hope that on one side, of course, people and things are more and more uncertain and the other people are more connected and they can create bigger impact together. And so I suppose central to that observation is the importance of perspective. And perspective is very much the message, I think, of meditations, the um, the book by the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, which, which is a, a super read. And of course, inspired the Stoics, I guess, in terms of this, this idea of, you know, we're not going to be around for very long and, you know, make sure you get a perspective on what really matters, I guess, to sort of summarize the great works. Is, is, that, is that a fair summary, Jan? It, it is a fair summary. It's also a, a summary of um, your time is very limited and the impact you can do is very limited. So you should you should do what you think will have an impact, what you think will be important and not look too much on the struggle side of life. It's, it, it has been a big, big inspiration for me um, the, the book, especially as the Stoic philosophy, because there's a lot of, of course, a lot of pressure in a startup life as well. And yours are, so what happens if this and this happens? You're like, so what? What, what, mm. what shall happen, right? It's giving you hope that what you can do is only in a certain period of time and in a certain duration. And you should really focus on every day that you have to create something. And, you know, I suppose it, it takes you into things where you need to have the courage of your convictions. I mean, I, I, I noticed that you're, you've obviously got an interest in, in climate change. You know, you're watching um, a lot of Sir David Attenborough's work on, on your recommended sort of things to watch on, on the lockdown list. But I mean, is this one of the areas where you think business can show its quality, our technologists can show their quality, and I suppose can manufacturing show its quality in terms of being a net positive to the world and the use of its resources? Absolutely. And, and we need to. We uh, Some might even say we have a responsibility to do that because also manufacturing has been responsible for a lot of pollution in the last decades. So saying now let's become the drivers of that change is is only uh, for me it's 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 the only perspective to take as a factory leader today and luckily more and more factories are picking up this space in the end if climate change gets as bad as predicted right now, also manufacturers will suffer, sales will suffer, humanity in itself. So there is a is a there should be an intrinsic motivation for manufacturers to mm. say, what can I do today to prevent climate change? And, and I mean, and of course, you know, there are a lot of people that are saying, well, one, one of the things we can do today is make less things. I mean, you know, I mean, presumably though, you are part of the body of thought that says, well, actually, there is a solution waiting to happen here that we can innovate our way through the problem. Less things is is, is a, a narrative where we have to ask ourselves who is getting less and who, who would get less things and if we look at the western society for example the things we consume the value and the the um, wealth that we host and if we look at the other part of the world we are very very privileged and very well off so at some point if we look at climate change and we have other people in the world looking at our wealth saying oh i want i want that i see it on tv i see it on on tiktok nowadays i i kind of want that this desire it's difficult to to tell everybody to buy less if you see what others have so of course we need to to produce less things that people do not want or do not need 
Um, on the other side, we should closely look at, at what everybody really desires and really needs and find a solution for that because mm -hmm. only then people will stop buying stuff. If, if you want a car or a house because you've never owned one, there are less, a lot of things that will not be able to stop you if you want that. And, but I also suppose the, the job of the innovator is to make sure that there might be a sustainable answer in actually meeting those ambitions for upward mobility and for a positive future that, that makes progress. I mean, with that in mind, last question for you, Jan, is that you gave a very intriguing new normal, which I think you have to unpack for us, which was standing in front of a burning fire with only a log and a small water pistol in your hand. Now, I mean, my mind was racing. Tell, tell us about the burning fire, the log and the water pistol. Absolutely. So the burning fire is, of, of course, and I think a lot of people can relate nowadays, it's the today's business environment, where you always check your mail, where you always get called, where there's so much going on. And if you founded a startup and if you... Uh, if you have all this this work coming up, then of course it's intimidating. It's a big fire. You you on one side you're really happy about the traction, about the contacts, about the opportunities. On the other side, and this this you want to feed them, right? You want to give the log mm -hmm. into the fire, make it bigger, make your vision of what you want to build uh, a reality. On the other side, you only have the small water pistol because you have. 24 hours a day, you have a team of people that dream, of course, but they also need to sleep and to eat. And you kind of need to choose what you're firefighting right now. So I think it's a really good metaphor for, for really having to precisely have a priority on what you want to go first. And it's fun, but it's also, of course, a little dangerous. I, I think every entrepreneur would get that, Jan. I think, um, I think how you firefight with, with a small water pistol. There you go. That's the, that'll be the endearing image of this interview. Thank Thank you very much um, for joining me. Thank you for sharing the story of Rico, your progress as the inaugural part of the Sixth Sense cohort, and for joining me on Changemakers. Thank you so much, Michael. Changemakers is brought to you by the campaign's firm Seven Hills and presented by me, Michael Heyman. Pure Being is the name of our soundtrack, and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works, and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?